Genesis chapter number 29 this morning. <clears throat> man, it's good to be in church this morning. I know it's an understatement, it's something that we say a lot, but man, I, I can't help but uh, be thankful just that the Lord gives us a place that we can come to on a regular basis, and it's just like God just seems to feel at home here. And uh, I don't want to take that for granted. I don't think we have a corner of the market necessarily, but um, <clears throat> I sure am thankful that the that pastor followed the leading of the Lord and started a church in his garage and see where God's brought it today. And just to say, hey, I get to be a part of it. <laughs> I get to enjoy it, right? And man, that's a, that's a blessing. But uh, this morning, uh, <clears throat> a, uh, a truth in the Bible, again, that we see is that uh, is man loves to get what he wants. <laughs> is that fair to say? Uh, you like to get what you want. I like to get what I want. I mean, that's just, I think, human nature, right? And, um, and uh, I think the way that the Bible outlines people and the, what, it, what it does is it shows light on how people really are. And uh, sometimes it's difficult to look at, right, because it shines light on us and it lets us see a glimpse of ourselves sometimes that we don't like to see. But that's why we come to church, is so that the Lord can continue to, to mold us and to make us into what He wants us to be. Amen? So uh, Genesis chapter number 29, let's start reading here in verse number 13. We're going to read a few verses this morning so that we can understand the context of where we're going to be going. Verse number 13, And it came to pass, when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban said, or excuse me, and Laban had two daughters, name of the elder was Leah, and name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but... Uh, seemed to him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid, for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah... And uh, he said to Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did not I serve with thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter Bilhah, his handmaid, to be her maid. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for allowing us to be in church this morning. Thank you, Father, all for all that have come out, Lord. The folks that maybe this is their first time visiting with us, Lord. 
Father, I pray they get something from you this morning. Whether this is the first or uh, first and last time we see them or whether they stay forever, Lord, I, I just pray that they get something from you in this moment here today. Father, I ask, Lord, as we open up the Word of God, that you'd please give me clarity of thought, Lord, and these thoughts and these things I believe you've impressed on my heart, Father, would come out in a clear, clear way, an understandable way. And, Father, that they'd be a benefit to those here this morning. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this book. We come to it. We submit ourselves to it. We ask, Lord, that you'd make us a little bit better, Father, for being here this morning. Help us to leave a little bit better than what we came. Help us to have ears to hear, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would take what we hear this morning and apply it to our lives and be the better for it. We love you now, and we ask you to, again, just bless this service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. What we find here is a situation with a man called Laban, and I can't help but... but you know, correlate this to the way people act. If you actually read the remainder uh, of, of the chapter and, and, you, reme- and you read the, the entirety of, of the passage here, it actually goes all the way through uh, Genesis chapter number 32. And, uh, and what you find out is that here's Laban, here's Rachel, here's Leah, here's uh, Jacob, right? And everybody has something that they want. Everybody has their motive, everybody has their end goal, everybody has a desire, right? And everybody's going about trying to get what they want. I can't help but, uh, I can't help but bring an illustration up, and this isn't to embarrass my daughter, but uh, my daughter, she's a very determined young child. I mean, I mean, she gets something in her head, man, and it's like... You say, no, Ellie, you can't do that. And, she's, and you can just see her, her eyes start to twitch and her head goes sideways. And what's going is, is that she's just ramped up the RPMs of her brain to try to figure out how to circumvent that initial no with how in the world do I now get what I want? Because I know what I want and I don't understand why you don't want me to have what I want and I need to get it, <laughs> Right? She's got this amazing ability when she sets her mind to something. I don't, I mean, you'll come back and you'll be like, I told you that you can't, but yeah, but I did this and this and this, and you didn't say, but I couldn't do this. And it kind of happened that I just ended up over here. <laughs> right? One time she told us, kids say things, you know, and uh, we were still over in uh, Beaver Creek at her old house. And, and she says, I'm going to sell some art today. Like some kids have lemon sale or lemonade, you know, stands. She's going to have an art stand. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's going to go. We live right on Grange Hall. Everyone driving 60 miles an hour is going to stop and buy your art, you know. And, <laughs> and it's like, you know, little girl art. I mean, praise the Lord for little girl art, but it's little girl art. You know, it's not something you keep the rest of your life, you know. You're like, that's great. And then you just open the trash can and you shove it in there. She goes, why did you throw that away? It's like, listen, if I kept all of it, we'd have to buy a storage unit, you know. And so she, uh, she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell this art. And we're like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, have a good time, you know. She comes in like 20 minutes later, she's got a dollar in her hand. And I'm thinking, how in the world? Did she go over and get it from Pastor? Did he feel bad for her and just give her a dollar and chuck it in the trash at his place? You know what she did? She waited for the mail lady to come. And the mail lady pulls up to the, to the mailbox and she says, hey, I got some art. <laughs> you know? And uh, 
And you know what? That male lady, this little black lady, she loved Ellie. And she gave her a dollar, took to art, and came back. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do with this girl? But I find myself, especially now as she's getting older, she gets more and more ideas. And she's kind of like that visionary type, you know. And mm, I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what to do with her sometimes. I scratch my head. And I came and I was talking to my wife the other day. And, and I came and I had this thought. And I said, determination is a fantastic trait for somebody to have. You're not, listen, you're not going to accomplish anything great, whether that's, uh, that's anything in the war. You're not going to accomplish anything great without having some level of determination in your, in, your, in your spirit and in your personality. If you're going to go get something, you've got to have determination to go get it. I mean, you're going to build a business, you better have some determination to build a business. You're going to have to take the hard knocks. You're going to have to do all that kind of stuff. If you're going to be good at your job, if you're going to be excel in anything, it's going to take some determination. If you're going to be a good Christian, it's going to take you just to have some determination in your spirit. You're not going to be able to take no for an answer all the time. Sometimes, you know, everybody loves to tell you why they can't or why you can't. But the problem is, is how in the world do I temper determination before it turns into manipulation? See, because that's a horrible trait. Manipulative people are some of the worst people to be around. They have their motives, they have their methods, they have their end mark that they want to get to, and I'm telling you, they're going to do whatever it takes at whoever's expense to get what they want. And manipulative people are the worst people to be around. Absolutely horrible. And so I had this thought, how in the world do I... Do I not, how do I take determination and temper it so that it's something that she can excel in life with and excel with the Lord, but I don't allow her to be manipulative in getting what she wants? Illustration is simply this. You take some kid that has nothing. Take a young person or, or a person that's had been given a, a hard lot in life, you know, if you will. And, and you know, we, we as a society, we say, you know, that person has been told no their whole life. And, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. And, you know, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know. And, and uh, they went to go get the job and said, well, you don't have the degree from the certain school. And you don't have this kind of prestige. And you don't know anybody. And don't you know that you're behind it? And then you know what they do is they overcome all these obstacles with determination. And then they become and they make something of themselves. And we put them on the news and we say what a success story but then there's that kid right or that person who's been given everything on a silver platter anything they ever wanted they got it right They've never been told no their whole life. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves in a situation. And guess what? The answer is no, you can't have that. And they pitch a fit. And they go, why can't I have that? That's what I want. Don't you know I can have whatever I want? You know what they do? They start to connive. And they start to manipulate. And they start to pin people against and they start to pull heartstrings and they start to create a story and they start to do all these things. Why? To get what they want. And you would look at that story and you'd say, oh, put them on the news and let's bash them. Right? Weren't they both determined? So what is it about? What is different between the two? Do you see my dilemma? 
What's the difference between the two? They were both told no, and they both accomplished what they wanted, but one was wrong and one was right. You know what, folks? We face the same problem in our own lives. You know what? We have a tendency to know what we want or think we know what we want, and then we're faced with opposition. And is it determination or is it manipulation that we use to get what we want? I want to take a couple looks here and a couple things in the passage and maybe help us on this subject matter this morning because, you know what? I can see some of these negative traits in myself. I can see in my, in my life and in, 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 my, in my personality where I have manipulated things and situations to get what I want. Right? And you know, everybody says, well, Jacob, he's the conniver. He's the manipulator. He learned it from somebody. He learned it from somebody. How in the world do I know? Because you can be determined to do something wrong. The Bible's full of people that were determined to do something wrong. Amnon was determined to, to, uh, to lie with his sister. Right? And he manipulated the situation to get what he wanted. Right? You can be determined to do something wrong. But listen, you can also be determined to do something right and then go about manipulating it and making that thing that you wanted that was right into something that's wrong. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm not worried about you being determined to do something wrong. Listen, the Lord will shake that thing out real quick. Right? If you're just, if you're just headlong going into something that's not, that's not good and is sinful and you're about to head out into the world, I can't help you. Because your eyes are already fixed. You're already determined. You're going to go the way you want to go anyway. But to the people that want to serve the Lord and want to do right, and you have a vision of what your life should be like for the Lord and what the Lord's inclining you to do, and you desire a good thing, but then you go about it the wrong way and you manipulate and connive your way to get it, that's the person I'm preaching to this morning. Because that is when you can take something that God has put in you that is inherently good and you can turn it into a curse. Because you know what? God's really good at taking a curse and making it a blessing. But He can also take a blessing and He can make it a curse. Amen? You know what we find here? It's how, do, how in the world is, is, and what we talked about just here a second ago, but the mark in which you're setting your goal toward. You can, you can set it towards something good. You can set it, set it towards something bad. You know, <laughs> the method, the method that you'd use in order to get what it is you want. You know, is your method for getting what you want sinful? Is it sinful? Because you know what happens? It's when, when we go from determination to do something to manipulation into doing something, what we find is, is that at some point in time, there's a stretching of the truth. Right? There's a stretching of the truth. Look at what, uh, what Laban does with Jacob. Jacob uh, comes to him in an honest uh, regard, and, he, and, and he's working with him for about a month. And, uh, and then Laban comes to him, and he's proved his worth. He said, oh, he's a pretty good, pretty good worker, you know, and, uh, and I think uh, he, he'd probably work out here. And I know, his, I know, I know his, where he comes from, you know. And uh, so what is your wages? What do you want? And he says, I would like Rachel. I'd like your daughter, Rachel. And he says, oh, okay, that's no problem. Absolutely no problem. You know, and uh, what do you think? I'll work for her for seven years. I bet you Laban was like, oh, seven years. (laughs) Pretty good deal. (laughs) You know, pretty good deal. 
And, uh, and so what ends up happening is, is Jacob works for those seven years, and then, of course, the wedding night comes, and, and he's, he's fulfilled his time, and he's, and he's filled his contract, and he's done all the things that he was told that he had to do. And Laban comes in and flat out lies to him. He wakes up expecting Rachel, and he sees Leah. He's like, what in the world is going on here? He lied to me, Right? Because his motives were hidden. His motives were hidden. His method for getting what he wanted, you know what it did? It caused him to lie. It caused him not just to lie blatantly, but don't you know that you can also go about uh, 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 trying to obtain what you want in a sinful way? And it's not just that you bullface lie. It's that you remove, the, you remove information. Right? So he goes in there. He lays uh, with Leah. He wakes up in the morning. What in the world's going on? He confronts Laban. And what does Laban do? Look in verse 26. And Laban said, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Why in the world didn't you say that before? If this was some custom in your land, you obviously knew it. But when I asked you the question, why didn't you tell me? Because you were playing your cards. Right? You're playing your cards. Sometimes we go about things and we just leave out information or we stretch the truth or, you know, we just, we just give part of the truth. We refer to one time and don't refer to all the times. You see what I'm saying? What is that? Manipulation. How do I know it's manipulation? Well, is your method for getting what you want sinful? You know, I love it when people try to stretch, well, what is sin? Whatsoever not of faith is sin. How about all unrighteousness is sin? You know exactly what sin is. And you know what we do sometimes? We just throw a blind eye and we say, well, is it, uh, is it the means to a better end? That's the old, the end justifies the means. It does not. That's not, not in God's uh, economy, it doesn't. Are they sinful? Let me ask you this. Are they harmful? How can they be harmful? You know, it's funny that the Bible tells us that we should esteem others higher than ourselves. So if you're seeking your benefit, if you're seeking something that you want, are you doing it? Listen to me. Are you doing it and you're hurting other people in the process? Are you hurting other people in the process? See, so many times what we find is that people just go around reckless abandon, and who cares who's affected? Is it harmful? You know, I've seen, I've seen it plenty of times. Folks, when we get thinking center and we get to thinking of ourselves and we get to thinking about what we want, what we fail to do is see that there's connections with people. Especially in a church like this, let's just say one person, you know, they, they just see what they want, and that's what they want. And you know what they do? They can't see that everyone in this room is somehow connected to somebody in this room. And so my actions here, my selfish actions here, there's a domino effect that there's, there's collateral damage for the things that I do and I pursue. Are they harmful to other people? How about this? How prayerful is it? How prayerful is your method? 
How much time you spent praying about what it is you want? I know, I know, I know. I deal with young people. <laughs> Every young person prays about everything. <laughs> okay? I don't know if I've ever met a young person that is about to make a mistake and they say they didn't pray about it. <laughs> of course, I don't think it's just exclusively to young people either. The truth of the matter is, is a trait of manipulation is a lack of patience. And what happens is, is you try to say, well, I want something, and it's a good thing. You may want it, but you want it in a certain amount of time, and you're not willing to wait for it. So what you do is you pray. You don't hear anything, but your flesh still wants it. And so you say, oh, well, that must be God because I still want it. And after all, I prayed for like a couple days, right? Folks, do you realize Do you realize that some people pray for things for years? Pastor gives the illustration about him and Miss Beth meeting. Prayed for nine years before we found Miss Beth. Right? You know what? People, people they, want to see, they want to see things happen in their family. I know folks prayed for their family to get saved. And it, listen, listen. It took them 30 years of prayer to see their family saved. But I want it now. So a prayerless approach, what's your method? How much time you spent in prayer? See, that's an objective thing. Well, how much time? Well, how much is enough time? How about until God does it? <laughs> how about that? <laughs> you know, this is, this, is a, this is a good one. How in the world do I know it's deter- if, it's, if I'm just determined or if I'm manipulating? Okay, well, what's your motive? We alluded to this before. Your motive, listen, let's just say personal gain. Let me show you both sides of this. Is it wrong to desire personal gain? Some of you Bible believers in here, you're short-circuiting right now because we've been told for everywhere that piety is poverty, you know, or poverty is po- uh, piety or whatever. And if somehow, you know, you drive, you know, some junky car or you live in a junky house, for some reason you're more spiritual than somebody else who's not. That's just a bunch of stinking nonsense. You know what? I wonder why all the Bible-believing churches are so stinking broke. Because you've been beating up on people that make money for years. That didn't go over very well. I don't wonder why. I'm trying to give you some liberty, man. Go make some money. Why the world are you mad at me? <laughs> you know what? You say, listen, is personal gain wrong? No, it's not. You should have some goals. You should have some desires you want to fulfill. That's not bad. But if your motive is personal gain at the expense of others, that's when it becomes wrong. In order for me to get my personal gain, does that mean somebody else loses? Right? I want personal gain. Okay, well, are you hurting someone in the process? You know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a coincidence that when Paul is talking to the folks that he's ministering to, every time he has a problem, he says, and what gain did I get from you? What gain did I get from you? And I sent to you Timotheus. What, what gain did Timotheus have of you? He says, nothing. I did not seek my own, but I sought 
your benefit. You see, that, that right there, you'd have to go directly against the principle that Paul shows us in Scripture. And that is, I'm not worried about how I come out. I'm worried about how you come out. And if I can get gain, and you don't have to lose in order for me to get gain, then run for it, man. Run for it. Start your business. You know, I, used to, I struggled with that for so long. Right? I struggle with it because the Bible says, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. I'm in sales. How in the world do I labor not to be rich? In order for me to get paid, I got to labor to make a sale so that I can get paid. So if I want to make more money, I got to work harder. So then do I, do I look at my employer and say, listen, I, uh, I'm making enough. And uh, I don't want to sell anymore because I don't want to labor to be rich. You say, oh, you're rich. I'm not rich, okay? What I'm telling you is that you struggle with that sometimes, and you have those thoughts. I, nobody, I'm, not, I'm not stepping on nobody by being a good employee to my employer and doing the best I can in, in my job, and as God gives me opportunities, I go and I, and I try to do the best I can. I have goals professionally. I have goals in business. I have goals in life. But if those goals ever... Uh, conflict, and they start to make, make sure that, oh, I have to then step on somebody to gain over top of them, or I have, to, I have to be, somebody else has to be disadvantaged for me to get an advantage. That's when I know my motive's wrong, and that's when I know I've crossed the line from being determined to do something to being manipulative to do something. You can desire personal greatness. There's nothing, listen, listen to me, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with doing something that people appreciate. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, trying to t do something that's respectable. And, you know, and, and it's not that you're getting monetarily compensated, but it's, you know, it's just, it's just the fact that, you know, it's, it's something that people appreciate. It's nothing wrong with getting up behind the pulpit and getting your bachelor's in divinity or some kind of degree or some kind of accomplishment. Right? Making yourself better. You say, I don't like the word greatness. It was a G. Get over it, okay? It's alliteration. It's a stinking preaching thing, okay? Just relax. <laughs> you desire that. That's fine. When do you become a manipulative person to try to gain your own greatness is when it's predicated on you defeating other people. Right? We see that. We see that with, uh, with Rachel, when, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more here in just a second, but Rachel, she, she gets to the place where uh, Leah's having kids, and she says, I can't have any kids. And she learned from her daddy pretty well. <coughs> Excuse me. And you know what happens is uh, she, she ends up getting this uh, idea in her mind, and she says, oh, well, uh, how in the world am I the one that's loved more than Leah is? And she's hated, and I'm not able to have kids. And, you know, she, she goes through the whole rigmarole there. And look with me, if you will, uh, over in, um, let's see, verse 8. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. Right? I have prevailed. She wasn't. She wasn't determined to get personal gain. You know what she was determined to do? Have greatness in the eyes of her husband. And you know what she did? She manipulated her way through and had Bilha do this and that and the other. And 
Oh, well, now I have children by my husband, and now, you know, I've prevailed against her. You know, the church, the Bible tells us not to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. It's not wise. Because when we do that, what we do is then we make the Christian life some kind of a competition. And whoever can achieve the highest level of whatever it is we're here to achieve, then we've achieved greatness at the expense of all the other people that you were always in competition with around you. You see that? The Bible says that those things ought not so to be. How about personal gratification? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with you doing things that you enjoy to do. You understand that? I know everybody's got a conviction. Everybody's got some kind of, you know, pet thing where there's no way someone could ever do that and be right with God. Okay, listen, if it ain't sinful... And, 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 and you enjoy it. The Bible says he's giving you things all freely to enjoy. Okay, enjoy it. When does it become manipulative and, oh, well, I'm trying to get what I want, what gratifies me. It's when you, it relies on the dissatisfaction of others. Are you starting to get the trend here? If I, have to, if I have to constantly make somebody else do something they don't want to do in order for me to be able to have a good time, then you're a pretty manipulative person. Don't you see that sometimes uh, in, uh, in, in, in relationships? You always got to do what you want to do. Right? You always got to do what you want to do. doesn't matter what your wife wants to do. It matters what you want to do. So you're constantly dragging her to things, and she's just like, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do that. I don't have any desire to that. And it's like you can never take an L. You always have to be the one that's satisfied. You always have to be the one that's having a good time at the expense of, oh, she doesn't really care to be here, but, you know, she's here anyways. You see that? What's the problem? We all have it in us to be manipulative. We do. We have it in us to be manipulative. You know what we find out from these passages? We find out that you can manipulate people. That's what Laban did. Laban manipulated people. Now, in order for you to manipulate people, typically you have to be in a position of some kind of power or authority over that person. It doesn't mean you got to be the president of the United States, but you have some kind, uh, you have some kind of authority or some kind of influence onto somebody. And what happens is, is you start to manipulate people. Laban was manipulating people. He had people that were underneath him, his daughters. He had, he had Jacob that obviously had, uh, that Laban had something that Jacob wanted. So he had leverage over Jacob. Jacob, he obviously had leverage over his two daughters, and he had leverage over his farm and, and everything that he had there on the, uh, on the homestead, if you will. And so he's got, all the, he's got all the pieces. And so what does he start to do? You say, well, what was his motive? Well, you could say this. Well, he told you that it was not a custom for the younger daughter to be given before the older daughter. So obviously, his motive was to uh, make sure that he didn't go against his custom and that Leah was able to go to a good man because he saw that Jacob was a good man and he also wanted made, uh, Rachel to go to him too. Uh, and so he said, hey, I'll kill two birds with one stone. And so he manipulated his way and that was his motive. Here's the problem. The motive is a lot darker than that. And what you find out is manipulative people, they try to spin it in a way to where it makes them look like they're still going after the greater good. 
Oh, it was the customer, and I don't want to make sure, and, you know, Leah, she's a good girl, too, and, you know, I don't want her to be discouraged because, you know, her younger daughter, or my younger daughter went before she did, and, and I'm just trying to be a good dad, and I'm trying to be good to the, you know, to the church and everything else. <coughs> he told you everything you need to know. When Jacob confronted him about Leah, what his response was to Jacob. If it was just about Leah going before Rachel, then guess what? He would have never made him serve another seven years. What was his motive? Free labor. Free labor. Hey, I found me a good mule. How long can I keep him? How long can I keep this mule doing everything that I want him to do the way I want him to do it? Man, you read some of the discourse he has with Laban later on in a couple chapters, and you realize that he had, he, it costed him when something died in the field. It came out of his wages. He had, he had his wages changed seven, eight, nine, nine times or whatever. He had all these things that he was required to do, responsibilities he had. Laban was sitting back on the couch, and he was living off of the hard work of Jacob, and he was just collecting a check, man. And you know what? Jacob was fodder to him. And his daughters were fodder to him. He didn't care one bit. You know what he did? He used people as pawns to get what he wanted. Now, folks, that shows up in a lot of different circumstances and stuff that you've experienced in your life. You want to know why church is so precious when you find a good church? Because for every church that you come and you feel at home and you feel welcome and there's not all this pressure on you to do whatever it is, that, there's about five other, ten other churches out there that you got a guy up in a pulpit and all he's going to do is put his thumb down on you and tell you everything he wants and manipulate you to do what he wants you to do to make him look good. That didn't, how, come that's, how come that's received so somberly? Some of you, you don't realize how good you have it. That's the problem. You ever been manipulated by somebody before? You ever have somebody take advantage of your loyalty? You ever have somebody that just had his own stinking uh, reputation in mind and used you in a cannon fodder and shot you out there and didn't care what happened to you? Maybe you haven't been in church long enough. Listen, it ain't just church. That happens in business. That happens in the world all the time. I'm not trying to just be over hard on church. But listen, uh, I know what it's like to give somebody who's supposed to be a man of God your loyalty and have them take you and sink and use you up and spit you out and not care what happens to you. And you go, my goodness, I just wasted six years of my life. And I got what to show for it. Right? Husbands, you can do that with your family. Just because you want to be the big dog. You want to be the guy. You've got control of your family. You've got control of your wife. You've got control of your kids. And let me tell you, bless God, this is the way you're going to act. This is the way you're going to dress. This is what you're going to do. And you're going to make sure you look good on the outside. Because after all, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I'm not a good dad or a good husband. And so you know what you do? You manipulate your, friend, you manipulate your kids. And you manipulate your wife. And you know what you do? You use God as your authority to do it. Is this hard? Listen, I'm not trying to be overly hard this morning. It'll get a little easier in just a second. But I'm trying to tell you, we do this. 
have parents that come back and say, why are my kids gone? Because you use the Bible as a stinking tool of manipulation to make you look good. That's why. And we sit back, where are our kids? What are they doing? Why are they? You never showed them what it was to be a Christian. You know what you showed them how to do? You showed them how to be manipulative. And you put them in a box, and you said, this is the box that God's in. And this is the box that you'll live in. And if you don't want to live in this box, get out! It's a rough one, ain't it? It's a rough one. We can manipulate people. We can manipulate circumstances. That's what Rachel did. She finds herself in a circumstance. She can't have kids. God sees that Leah is, is, uh, is hated. He sees that Rachel is loved. He says, all right, I'll clean up. I'll, I'll dry up this lady's womb, and I'll open up Leah. And you know what happens? Man, uh, uh, Leah starts having kids and starts having kids, and Rachel finds herself in a situation. She goes, this can't be. How come I can't have kids? And so you know what she does? She starts to do exactly what she learned from her father. She starts to manipulate the situation so that somehow she comes out on top. First thing she does, she goes, uh, she goes to her husband and she says, she gives this great emotional, dramatic plea. Give me children, Jacob, or I'm going to die. And then she's told no. Jacob gets mad. Stinking woman. What do you want me to do? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Am I God? Can I, can I somehow make you, uh, make you able to give, uh, be pregnant? I can't do that. That's God. And so she sits there and she's like, oh, I can't take no for an answer. I can't take no for an answer. I can't take no for an answer. And so she's sitting there and says, oh, okay, uh, what do I have? What do I have at my disposal? Who do I have? Who do I have at my disposal? Bilha. Oh, yeah, Bilha. Oh, okay. She'll do whatever I tell her to do. Okay. So, okay, here's this scenario. I'll have Bilha. She can do this. And then, and then we'll, 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 uh, we'll conceive child through her. But it'll actually be mine because I had the authority over her to do this. So, and she... You see that? And they know what she does? She pulls rank on her husband. You're going to do this. Jacob's like, oh, okay. I just want to keep peace in the home. <laughs> sure, whatever. And then she claims victory over there in verse 8 that we just read. You know, that's something we try to do in situations. And we say, how come God's not doing this? How come I don't have this? How come I don't have the ability to do this? You know, we don't wait for God. We try to manipulate the circumstances or the situation. And we say, and then we can say, look what God did. But the truth of the matter is, God wasn't stinking 100 miles from it. You made it happen. You made it happen. You swiped the credit card. I'm talking about, man. God didn't provide for you. You provided for you. God didn't get you through that circumstance. You got you through that circumstance. How many times, how many times, listen, how many times, and these guys travel, so they, they've probably seen it a million times too. How many times you see somebody get up and, you know, they're preaching or they're, they're in front of a church or in front of a group of people and just all of a sudden their horrible need just falls out of their mouth? Right? 
And it's not that they're just, and it's not, it's not, it's not that they're being honest about it. It's that they're trying to manipulate the situation. And I need to, I, listen, I need, I need this and I need that. And so what you're going to do is you're going to say, oh, well, then God laid it on somebody's heart. And it's like, no, no, he didn't. You laid it on their heart. <laughs> you can manipulate circumstances. You know what you can do? You can manipulate outcomes. Jacob does that. We haven't read it, and I'm not going to read it now, but he gets in a situation where he wants to leave, and he makes a deal with Laban, and he says, all the ring strike and spotted, all this different stuff, and I can't explain how he did it. The Lord knows, did some little branch thing, and they did this, and then this popped out, and whatever kind of witchcraft happened there. <laughs> I don't know. But you know what he knew? He knew how to manipulate the outcome by doing a certain thing on the front end. He knew that he could produce an outcome over here, and he was basically going to fleece Laban of all of his flock by doing it. And listen, folks, we can do that too. We can manipulate outcomes. And we say, oh, you know, God's just been so good. And we'll blame God for it. God had nothing to do with it. We manipulated the outcome. We manipulated the circumstance. And we manipulated the people to get what we wanted. And you find yourself in that situation, and guess what? There's an aftermath for manipulation. There's an aftermath. There's consequences for doing things that way. Because I'll tell you this, you, you manipulator, guess what? You're a go-getter, man. You'll get some stuff done. You'll have everything that you think you need and everything you think you want. You'll get it. Right? But at what cost? You know what? I think the people that you manipulated, they suffer. You say, well, who suffered, who suffered for Laban? How come nobody mentions Leah in this thing? You know what I see in Leah? I see in Leah the same kind of manipulation that happens to a lot of Christians and a lot of people when you have somebody that manipulates you and, and somebody that tries to get you to do what they want you to do. You know what you find here? Look at this. She, she starts to conceive and, and bear children to Jacob. And look at what it says in verse 32. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called him Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. <coughs> now therefore my husband will love me. You know what? She's been manipulated, and all she cares about, all she cares about is the approval of men. She just wants her husband to love her. That's what she's going for. She's looking at him saying, I need him to love me. I need him to love me. She's looking for man's approval. Look in verse 33. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord had heard that I was hated. She became self-deprecating. She became so hard on herself. She realized, that, oh, the, the, more she, the, more that, the more that she tried and more she expected love from her husband because of what she was doing and what she had done, and the more she didn't get it, and the more she was unfulfilled in what she was seeking for, the more and more she thought negatively about herself. Right? Look in verse 34. And she conceived again and bare a son, and now this time will my husband be joined to me. Now this time, my husband will be joined to me. Because why? Because now I've borne him three sons. So the more that I do, maybe that was the problem. I just wasn't doing enough. 
So now that I've done a whole lot, now, now he'll love me. Do you, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Christians go through that. People go through that. You know what, Dad, you know what I've realized? You know, daughters, they, you know what they want? They, they, want, they want you. How do I say this? I found out that daughters, they just want the attention of their dad. They, they, listen, how, how they respond to you, that's what they end up looking for in a man. Is she your princess? <laughs> and in my course of going through this, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I don't, I don't want my, my daughter to constantly just be competing for my love because she thinks she has to do something in order for me to acknowledge her. That's the problem that she's having because, listen, she had been manipulated her whole life. And it was a long process before she got to the final understanding. And you know what the final understanding was? And this man, it was a painful understanding that she came to in verse 35. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. It took her a long time to figure out that that was she should have been doing in the first place. It ain't about nobody else. It's about you and God. You want to know why people struggle with some of that sometimes? Because they've been manipulated into thinking that service is a part of their spirituality. And it's not. Amen? Your service is a byproduct of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not what creates the personal relationship. It's a byproduct of it. I'm trying to get through this thing here and just want to show you that the results will suffer. Say you accomplish something through manipulation. You know what the problem is? Is when things get hard, then you don't have God to look back on and say God did that. Because in the, in the basis of your heart, you know what you know? That you did it. And so you know what you'll be more prone to do? Quit. When things get tough, you'll quit. Because you don't have the confidence in sitting back and saying, man, God did that. Because after all, you know, what ends, you know what really is the problem here? Is that somebody, you and I, we look at the circumstances and we look at the people and we look at the outcome and we, and we think that we have some kind of control over our life and over what it produces and what God's doing. And you know what we end up thinking? We're God. We don't have to have faith in God. We don't have to trust God. I'm God. I control my life. I control the outcomes. I control the circumstances because I can control the people. And let me tell you something. I'll say this. Laban was the ultimate loser. Because you want to know what he found out? Those that you manipulate will end up manipulating you. You know what he ends up doing? He ends up losing all his grandkids. He loses his kids. He loses his family. He loses his riches. And he's left by himself. Some of you in here, you ever, you ever been around somebody who just constantly manipulated people? Well, if you really love me, and don't you know that I can't get around like I used to? And, and I mean, listen, and they manipulate and manipulate and manipulate and until the point where then now the folks that they're manipulating turn against them and they say, I don't want nothing to stink and do with that manipulative person. 
You know one of the saddest things I've seen in the ministry is people die alone with nobody around them. And the only reason nobody's around them is because they pushed everybody away because they tried to manipulate every step of their life. That's a sad place to be. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to lay down on your deathbed someday, and you're going to say, how come no one's here? You can blame the church, you can blame the pastor, you can blame everybody around you. But the problem is, nobody likes to be manipulated. And you know what happened to them girls and that boy? Eventually they said, we're tucktailing out of town. We're out of here. And the same kind of level of lies that he gave them, they gave him. And Jacob's learning a lot. How does this apply to us this morning? I know this is a little bit somber of a message, but I'm going to put a bow on it right now. Here's Jacob. You know, he didn't always... He, I know he's a conniver. I know what Jacob means. But if you consider, okay, we say, oh, well, he manipulated the birthright from his brother. No, he didn't. He just gave him a fair trade. Then you're hungry. I got some lentils. You want? Give me your birthright. You can have it. What's, what's manipulative about that? He just valued something spiritual more than his brother did. You see that? You say, well, what about that thing he deceived his father? Who was behind that? His mama. Hey, go ahead and take this, you know, the hair, put it on your arms because Esau's a hairy man. You go into your dad and you tell him and you talk like him, change your voice, whatever you do. That was his mom doing that. That wasn't Jacob doing that. And then he comes out and he starts meeting with Laban and now he's been manipulated for 20 years. And he has got a full-on education. And God says, listen, boy, that may be the way you've seen things done, but if I'm going to use you, that's not the way I do things. Amen. You know what happens in the next chapter? He gets in a wrestling match with Jesus Christ. And he says, who are you? Uh, not who you try to show everybody you are. What's your motive? What's your method? Who, what, don't, don't give me the spin. Who are you? And he wrestles with him all night long. And he says, hey, I'm done with this manipulation stuff. You're going to get one thing through your stinking head. You're going to get it right now. If we're going to go on, I'm going to make a nation through you. Guess what? It's my way or the highway. And that thing stayed with him. All the way up until all of a sudden his boys start manipulating him. And they sell Joseph into slavery. And Joseph goes down into Egypt. You all know the story, right? Don't you just love how the Bible gives you a lesson and it goes all the way through. And Joseph's down in Egypt and he says, I want Benjamin. Bring him to me. He says, oh, I can't do that. I got to keep Benjamin. That's what I want. I can't, I can't get rid of Benjamin. And so you know what he does? He tries to manipulate the situation any way he can. And what ends up happening is God is going to put you in a place where you can do nothing but face the truth and you'll be able to manipulate no more. Amen. You will either starve to death in Egypt, or you will do what God wants you to do the way you want it, that He wants you to do it. Amen. So some of you in here, you find yourself in a straight. You're like, why is this, 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 that, and the other? I'm just so, I feel like things are so tight. I feel like I'm just being constrained like I'm a rock between a hard place. 
Well, how much of you is involved in trying to get what you want? It ain't God's fault. You see, you're trying to play God, and guess what? It ain't working for you too much, is it? Some of you in here, you're bitter with the Lord. Why are you bitter with God? Because He's not doing what you want Him to do? That was Martha's problem. Martha was so stuck in what she wanted to do, and what she thought she could do, she thought she could manipulate the Lord. And you know what? Sometimes we get in our mind, we've manipulated people, and we've manipulated circumstances, we've manipulated our parents, we've manipulated our kids and our wives and our spouses and our friends. We've manipulated our way through work. And we get to the place just like Martha does, and she says, I can manipulate God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. You can't manipulate God this morning. You know what the best thing you can do this morning? is say, God, give up. Because the opposite of manipulation is freedom. And that's how God wants you to live. And you can just give somebody the truth. God can give you the truth. And then you make the, you make the decision for yourself. I ain't going to push you for it. And so guess what? If you're waiting on somebody else to do something so you can get what you want, you better be real with God this morning. Be real with God this morning and say, Lord, I'm done. I'm done playing games. Listen, I'm just going to let you do what you want to do. I'm just a bystander. And whatever you want, you'll do it in your time. I'm not going to play God. I guarantee you, Christian, you'll be a lot happier if you quit trying to manipulate your way through life and allow God to do some things so that when you look back, you can say, man, Lord, there's no way I would have ever done it that way. But, man, I wouldn't trade that right for nothing because you were so real and I can see your hand in everything that went on. That's the testimony I want when I look back at my life. Isn't that the testimony you want? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. I thank you for all that have come out. I thank you for their attentiveness, Lord. I know that sometimes these kind of subjects are a little bit hard to deal with, Father, but I know... I see it in myself. It's a struggle that I have. Lord, help us this morning to stop trying to manipulate our situation for our own benefit. Lord, help us to trust you, to have faith in you, be patient, Father, and allow you to work. Help us to be determined, but help us, Lord God, not to be manipulative. Father, I pray you'd help your people this morning. Amy, if you'd play something on the piano, we'll just let some folks pray this morning. Some of the reason you feel so much pressure is because you're playing the part of God and God never intended you to play that part. He said, let me play that part. I'm good at it. Christians praying this morning, maybe you're in here this morning and you don't know if you're saved. You know what you can continue to do? 
try to manipulate your way through life thinking somehow you can do good enough to get you to heaven. Somehow that you can gain favor with God by doing something. God says, I'm not impressed with your abilities. I sent Jesus Christ to pay the ultimate price and you don't have to manipulate him at all. You just believe on him and the Bible says you'll have everlasting life. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for all that have come out. I know we went a little long this morning. I thank you for their patience, Father. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us what we need to get out of the book this morning. Father, I pray you'd bring us back here tonight to hear from you again. We love you now, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.